has become a currency. Loyalty has become a currency. It's just another way of paying for stuff. It's not all perfect across the entire marketplace, you know, from the broader South African point of view. But you're talking to two brands today who are, you know, leading their industry in terms of the most used. You are getting the creme de la creme in terms of the example. You know, in our industry, we're of the most privileged people to be able to do what we do, to help millions of people's of lives and to have these large, large corporates behind us to, to be able to, to do that. So it's nice to be able to help people. Just as you think we've reached that pinnacle and we can't get any further, somebody comes up with something more innovative than the prior. Hi, I'm Ian Pringle and this is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty, where we help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. In this episode, we explore the growth of loyalty in South Africa, which was recently recognised at the International Loyalty Awards, where eBucks, DSTV and my good friend Amanda Kromholt won awards in four categories. To help me explore what has driven innovation and growth in the South African market, I'm joined by three guests who have each played an important role in this transformation. So please could I welcome Melanie Van Roy, Head of Marketing at Clitz Group. Hi Melanie. Hi there, Ian, but call me Mel. (laughs) <laughs> the last the last the last time somebody called me Melanie was way back in school so let's stick with Mel for tonight. Perfect, perfect. And Johan Moorman, CEO of Ebucks Rewards. Hi Johan. Hi Ian, nice to be here. And I've said that right, have I? Is it's your Johan? Yeah, no, it's perfect. And Amanda Cromholt, we've known each other many years, so hi Amanda, nice for you to join us at last. Yeah, thanks Ian, great to be here. And Amanda's CEO of Loyalty Consultancy Truth, so really good, and thank you all for joining me tonight. So just to start us off tonight, can we each give a brief introduction to yourselves and also your experience of loyalty in South Africa? So Mel, would you like to kick us off on that? Yes, absolutely. So my first experience with loyalty was when I was marketing director of a Walmart subsidiary called Macro. Uh, the macro M card. And I was very spoiled starting with that because it's the only retail loyalty program in South Africa where you absolutely cannot shop without a loyalty card. So imagine the depth and the wealth of the data that I had there. And it, it was a wonderful learning experience for me. I, I did, I started there in 2013. So literally I've been very involved with loyalty for the last 10 years. After that, I moved over to, um, Discam Pharmacies who also have a very good um, loyalty program, the Discam Benefit Program. I launched um, the Discam for Youth Club, which was a, a youth club targeting our, our youth market. And then most recently, I moved over to Clicks, uh, Clicks Group, which is the biggest pharmacy group in South Africa, with the most used loyalty program in South Africa, which is the Clicks Club Card, which I am extremely proud of. And over the last two years, we have done so much, so much innovation, um, and it's just been fantastic. We've grown our loyalty base um, with about 2 million members over the last two years, um, and it's difficult when you are ahead of the pack to stay ahead. Um, so, yeah, that's my experience with loyalty, uh, implementing apps, um, putting in new partners. Johan and I already come from my macro days. They were my partner in macro as well. That's why I say you always recycle through loyalty. Um, so it's been a hell of a journey, Ian. No, brilliant. Well, th- and welcome to, thank you for joining us tonight. And uh, Johan, can you talk us through your experience as well? 
So, so great. Thanks, Ian. Um, I think my, my experience started when I started using that macro card that, that Melanie <laughs> talk, talked about. So, so, so a big user of the program, but, um, at FNB, you know, I've been very fortunate. This is my eighth year in the, in the CEO seat at, at eBucks and have seen the program grown from strength to strength. So we've effectively got nine different programs across our retail um, segment and then uh, a couple across our our business uh, commercial segments. And then we're also in uh, three subs, so uh, Botswana, Namibia, and Swaziland and looking to to grow um, over there. So extremely proud of the program. The program is 23 years old. Um, it's paid out or next month we would have paid out more than uh, 20 billion rand since inception. Um, we're very fortunate that, uh, you know, 90% of e-bucks that we pay to customers gets used within the first 30 days. Um, so a very, very active customer base, um, more than three and a half million active customers. And when we say active, we look at uh, customers that earned and spent e-bucks in the last six months. And uh, a program that we're extremely proud of. Um, you know, the currency today is still uh, 10 e-bucks to a rand. E-bucks don't expire. It's still a free program for, for our customers. And one that we feel has, has stood the test of time. Um, it's a rewards program. We don't think of it as a loyalty program. We, we change banking behavior and uh, very fortunate to have great, great partners. Um, great customers, which has really helped us, uh, kept us uh, ticking this program over and adding value to our customers. And how is that funded? How does the money work in the model? Because in the US, it's funded through interchange by, you know, by, by people using credit cards, debit cards. How is it funded? Where does the money come into your program? So I'm very fortunate. I've got a lot of clever actuaries in the team. So, so, so they got to do the math, but it's through pure behavior change, right? So, so we understand our, our business and the retail product continuum across transact credit, um, invest, insure quite, quite well between our different customer segments. And we've got to drive behavior change. So for example, you know, we know very well that a ATM transaction costs us eight rand fifty. Um, and then if I can get a customer to move away from, from cash and, and move to card, well, there's some saving over there and uh, I can pay some of that back to, to a customer the exact same way that if I know I can get a, a spouse to join or a kid to join, or I can get a customer to take up a new product, we understand the profitability of the customer and the product very well, and we want to give back to a customer. So interchange is part of it, yes, but there are many, many more levers that, that uh, can be pulled, and it happens over time. Our rules and our product sets and everything is out there, um, but I think the, the real thing that gets it going is that everybody across the bank uh, whether it be different business units, product houses, believes in this program. And we do see the behavior change. So whether it's cutting costs, driving revenues, uh, understanding customer lifetime value, um, we've got to make a tick. So this almost, well, more than 2 billion rand that we, we pay to customers on an annual basis, We've got to go create more value than that, so that we can actually give it back to to our. So it's customers. like a holistic, it's like a holistic banking product that you're taking advantage of, and or trying to create. You're trying to create a holistic banking relationship, and, and you know the profitability. You measure the profitability of that. 
or 100%. And I think it all starts with sound money management. So if you look after a customer, um, whether it's on their transact side, credit side, uh, invest, um, the, the insurances, and, and you make sure that you do right by the customer, well, then you're going to make long-term profits at, at the end of the day. Um, you're going to involve the family and, and all of them. And, and it's right to give back to the customer and to reward them for the more that they do with, with the bank. And, and we've always focused on categories that are day-to-day -day categories, so groceries, fuel, uh, medicines, and and I think therein lies the the value. We we there there are some hoops to get to the top tier rates, but uh, if you reward a customer for what they do on a daily basis and you look after their financial health, well, then uh, you're going to have a program that's going to last and long may it continue. No, perfect. And uh, Amanda, Amanda, how about you? Just before I introduce myself, just on what Johan said there, like we had a massive debate as the judging panel at the International Loyalty Awards around bank-wide programs. And what Johan just said actually is super interesting, your question about the funding, because, you know, I think traditionally, particularly most banks around the world are just funding through interchange or that's becoming a more challenge. It's becoming so much more challenging, isn't it, as as the whole industry is changing. And I, I personally haven't seen another model in the world, and Ian, you may well have done so, but that is so so thorough in terms of the whole bank it has to be behind it from everything i've heard from from your hand that this this bank wide proposition is what really impressed the judges at the international loyalty awards that it's the first time i've heard your hand actually talk about the funding model of how that comes out of the bank wide proposition um, rather than just it feeling like a card proposition but but i mean we'll get onto this later but i really think south africa has benefited from incredible competition because Vitality, Discovery Vitality has been an awesome program for many years. And it's difficult to replicate that in other markets just because of the way it's funded. Because in the UK, people don't expect to pay for banking. In fact, they expect the banks to do lots. And there's, and there's virtually no interchange. And, there's, and you, don't generally aren't, you don't generally hold many products with your bank. You tend to bank with them. So I think South Africa, how, how unusual is that? And how much of Vitality has driven the investment and the money, you know, the banking programs have driven the money in the, prog in, in the whole market. Do you think that's true? There is no question Vitality has a place in this market and it's doing interesting things, but it has a halo effect that I think, if you sit around any boardroom and everyone says, oh, well, I'm a member of Vitality, but they equally say, I'm a member, today I was in a boardroom and this guy was going on about getting to level five on eBooks. So, I would say the three brands that are mentioned in virtually every boardroom discussion, and I'm not just saying it because of today's discussion, are Vitality, eBooks, and Clicks, without question, every time. And, and Amanda, can you just go, introduce yourself as well? You, I know we, we had a great discussion straight in there, but uh, <laughs> do you want to introduce yourself as well? Yeah, sure. So uh, as I said, I have the absolute privilege and fun of being able to work with lots of different brands. So our company, Truth, we're a consultancy and a loyalty training company. And we work, like if I look at the most used programs in South Africa, we've worked with over 70% of the top 25 most used programs. But we do a lot of work outside of South Africa. So it's a real privilege to be able to do the international work as well, to be able to bring those learnings into South Africa. But actually, I would say nine times out of 10, I'm taking learnings out of South Africa and sharing it with the rest of the world. So um, I think I'm one of the most, I think I'm one of the luckiest people in the world because I love my job and I work with, you know, a great industry, a really fantastic industry. 
Yeah, you've worked in, I mean, the, the big, I always think the big loyalty markets in the world are Canada, the UK, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. You know, they're, they're the kind of the, the real the real engine rooms. But it's, it's, it's funny why that, that is so different. We'll get onto that in a minute. And then, uh, of course, everyone knows me from the podcast, or at least I'm doing the podcast many times. And, and I've been lucky enough to work in South Africa. In fact, Amanda was the first person I met in South Africa. We did a great project together, which ended up with a, a project where we launched the Avios program with BP and with, and with Pick and Pay 10 years ago now. So that was a number of years ago. But I loved working in South Africa. It's such an exciting market because, as I said, there is money in there's a funded loyalty proposition, but also amazing market. You know, 22 different, it's 22 different languages, lots of different, different ethnic groups, lots of different, massive diversity. I, I absolutely loved it. It was great. And going on to that, why do you think South Africa, we've mentioned a few things today, but what do you think the opportunities and challenges are, particularly that, that are very peculiar to the South African market? I, I, I'm going to take a stab at that, uh, Jan, and I'm sure from a banking perspective, you'll have a lot to say. So one of the things that keeps me quite busy, Ian, is that the customer set is unbelievably diverse, right? Yeah. You you know, our footprint is is now already 870 stores, and we can have anything from a customer that in a store that can very easily be a top-end um, New York strip um, store like the V&A, right down to a small little tiny shop in an absolute rural area. So your customer set is so diverse and I think it is so unique. I mean, South Africa has one of the, you know, the, the worst Gini coefficients in the world in terms of inequality. And, and I think t- to me as a retailer, that is a, both a massive challenge, but also an amazing, um, opportunity because c- South Africans, whether you're rich or poor, are extremely brand loyal, especially our lower income customers. They, you know, it's not you give cheap, cheap stuff to, to, to people just because they're poor. And that's, I find extremely peculiar. So that has influenced, for instance, driving loyalty around our private label products. Um, very much so. So for me, it's really this diverse group of, of, of customers that you have to serve off the same platforms on the same channels but that have such different needs. The other thing is that um, we are the most penetrated, one of the most penetrated um, countries in terms of cell phone usage, certainly in Africa, and I think very much so in the world as well. So um, it's a, I mean, for, for somebody like Johan and, and, and the guys in banking, I mean, that is that is amazing, right? Because they can say to a person, listen, you can't get e-bucks if you, if you don't uh, transact with us digitally. But equally so, it leaves um, a challenge and an opportunity for us because in our in our case, your app user, in, for instance, is the most loyal customer that we do have. But not everybody has data. They've got a phone, but they don't have data. So there's 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 a lot going on at any given time, and then we've got an interesting political um, situation which impacts us on so many fronts. Um, I mean, I'm just taking something simple as load shedding, which is simple maybe to to us because we're so used to it and the impact that it has on our business, on our customers, um, et cetera. So it is a market where you can never so say that you know exactly what is going on in any given period because, believe you me, it will change the following week. It literally is that volatile. And do you think that's driven, all of all of those challenges, do you think that's driven a greater professionalism now? Because I think when I look at the South African market and I meet people that work and they're, de- they're dealing with the challenges you deal with, I think that's an elevated 
I think that the people are dealing with those, that, that elevates the professionalism of the market. It must do because... It does. It certainly elevates resilience. Like South Africans are totally resilient. When I tell stories about the conditions we work in, like without electricity and often cell phones are down and they're like, what on earth is going on? You're a first world... E- it feels like a first world sort of economical environment and yet it's absolutely chaotic all the time. So like Mel mentioned, the political environment, I would say economically it's not first world, it's very unstable. Sociologically, there's a lot of instability. Take about, you know, if we talk about pests, politically Mel's mentioned, but technology is advanced. Like as she said, you know, as we the cell phone banking security, I don't know, Johan, you can speak for this better than I can, but I'm confident it's one of the most secure in the world, probably because it has to be, but but it is so impressive. So it builds this resilience. It also builds this incredible entrepreneurial spirit. So there's an entrepreneurial approach to everything. So South Africans will find, they'll, they'll find a way of delivering no matter what. So you've come up with some, some phenomenal ideas come through through the system because exactly as you said, it results in a higher, I think there's a higher level of professionalism of the individuals you meet, but I think there's a massive gap shortage you can't find an analyst or a loyalty person for any money in this country. Mm. You yeah. can't find well, I think that's you. the same everywhere, actually. That's the same everywhere. I, <laughs> I learned this very quickly. The, 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 I arrived in South Africa once and uh, my phone, there was shampoo in my bag had disappeared and it went straight into my phone. So I had no phone. And I got in the cab and I told this problem to my cab driver. He said, don't worry about it. He gave me his phone and I swapped the, I swapped the SIM card across. His phone was better than my phone. It was a cab driver. A cab driver in Johannesburg, and he he then swapped it, and he came back for me later. I love the country, absolutely love it. And this leapfrog technology, you don't have to deal with all of the, especially on your banking side, Johan. How much do you have to deal with 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 legacy systems, or is it has that leapfrogged as well? Has that helped you, or are you still dealing with the same thing all the other banks have to deal with? No, look, I think just on the previous point, you know, when we talked about professionalism, I think there's also a reason why. You know, we're a competitive bunch down here in South Africa, right? Uh, you, you've must probably seen that in our sporting teams uh, around the world. But when we go up against each other, you know, there's some incredible retailers, there's incredible banks, and and I think when you when you do things to be competitive with one another, you don't always win. But when you do things because you want to help customers. You know, Mel, you know, hit the nail on the head which said, you know, our customer base is so diverse, right? But when you when you do things because you want to help people, because you know there are people that are struggling, you, you know there are people that are, you know, finding it difficult to make ends meet. And when you look at that and that disparity that there is and you, and you build your program around that, and you're segment specific and you're real and you you can get them to stretch their hands to to make ends meet you know those are the programs and and amanda you can tell me if i'm right or wrong but those are the programs that you know customers tend to to use more and gravitate to and and those are the retailers that are winning and those are the banks that are winning so yes we like to to beat each other up every now and again and say, yes, we ours is better than yours and all of that. But but that's not the mindset that you should be going into this. You know, it, it's about helping people because, you know, we can all say, you know, ours is this and yours is that. But if you're not helping people at the end of the day, well, then move out the way and somebody else will come help mm-hmm. customers and, and, and over there. So 
Absolutely. I mean, since um, since the loyalty awards, actually, I've, there's been quite a lot of press coverage locally in South Africa, and I would say 95% of the coverage, they're not that interested in the awards. They're interested in how are these brands helping, how's the loyalty industry helping the consumer? Because it's such, there is such a, but, but Ian, actually, thinking about it, I've been listening to what's going on everywhere in the world. You think about the inflation in the UK at the moment. Yeah. It's you know, like everyone's that. complaining about food prices. So it's just a different market. But it's been going on for a lot longer in South Africa. It's like, you know, this, this is a, there's, there's, it's a dramatic lifestyle for a lot of people. They have to survive and loyalty programs can really help them, whether they're dealing with someone who literally uses their loyalty points to buy their electricity or buy a loaf mm. of bread to feed their, feed their kids tonight versus yeah. someone who's saving up to go mm. maybe be able to send their kid on a, on a flight to go on a hockey tour. You know, it's, it's different strokes for different folks, but they're real, they're real issues rather than I think it just being a luxury that people can kind of go on oh, banking my points for a luxury. But it's really, it's really interesting to hear that, sorry, it's really interesting to hear that both of your big brands, you haven't, you haven't gravitated to the top here. You, are, you aren't, you're clearly from what you're saying, you're not just going for that top right hand segment who are, who are rich and who are, you're, you're, it's, it's really interesting to hear that you're, you're talking about democratizing both of the programs. And it sounds like that's a must. Is that best practice? I, I, I can tell you, it, it, to me, it's, it's, it's not even a, it's a must. If you don't have that in your program, I think you will, it will not work. It, depending on, on, you know, if, if you're only a retailer that only caters to the upper end of the market. The interesting thing though, Ian, is also that what we are seeing in South Africa at the moment is that even your high income earner is now waiting for, because we release cash back every two months on the 24th. And, you know, um, initially it was really sort of the middle segment of the market. That was actually, you know, spending and, and, and very aware. Now what we're finding is that our upper income customers are just as much waiting for that, um, that spoil that comes every second 24th. So it really is if you're not catering on both ends, but it's the type of rewards you have to be so on top of what it is that the upper income customer wants versus what the lower income customer wants, because that's not a one size fits all. And I think that's something that we grapple with at the moment is you keep, you need to keep on, um, you know, innovating your reward structure to cater for this. I mean, Johan, you guys have just been through a redone of your, of your, of your structure. And for us, it really is to capture both ends of the market because the needs are so different. But as I say to you, the days are long gone where we had upper income people hoarding points and actually not even being aware that they had cash back available. It's now a lot of the call center guys. Why can't I see my, you know, uh, I didn't see my Europe car um, coming through. You're not showing me my engine points. So it has become a currency. Loyalty has become a currency. It's just another way of paying for stuff. And I say it a lot. Don't underestimate how um, influenced very rich people can be. I'm, I'm lucky Absolutely. to work for two big airlines, and I can name you many people that you know that are famous enough to be known by <laughs> everyone in this call, even in South Africa, who have called up to complain about missing their own <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and I think what's what's also I believe quite unique about our world is is how we partner, right? So, so when you take these, these big programs, you know, like you, you talk about clicks and, and ebooks, and we, we mentioned our, our field partner, um, in engine, 
You know, when, when a customer has op- opportunity to perform one action, but earn in multiple uh, reward programs, loyalty programs, that just gives more benefit back to the customer. For example, you know, when I fill up fuel, I, I now always give my clicks card uh, to the guys at Engine because I know come uh, every 22nd month, the 24th, I'm going to get some great uh, clicks <laughs> uh, rewards over there. And, and I also get my, my fuel rewards in eBucks, you know, so it, it does drive that spend. It does drive that customer behavior. And, and that ecosystem that we can put together to, with partners that serves that daily need, you know, I believe is, but, but is quite really, unique. But it's really funny, Johan, because you're, you're describing how coalition works. And of course, coalition programs aren't the newest thing in the world. They've been around for 30 years. But they're, they're, I'd, I'd, I'd say they're mainly in decline, right? They're mainly in decline around the world. Why is it not in decline where you are? They're not really traditional coalitions, actually, Ian. It's more, um, it's not a traditional coalition like as we know it, like in the Avios days or, or Nectar. Because if you think about eBucks, for argument's sake, you could say it's a hybrid of a coalition. But at the end of the day, eBucks isn't in existence as a neutral brand with multiple merchants. It's a bank's loyalty program that has loads of partners that add value. Yeah. So, so they're part funding. They're part funding the rewards. Yeah, it's not funded by the traditional coalition. It's 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 the it's the banks. It's FMB's loyalty program, not a coalition brand that's making money out of this loyalty program. Does that make sense? No, it's it's, so, it's funny, isn't it? Because because maybe the selfish route. Because the problem with coalitions generally is you have to price it, and in order to price a coalition, you're often you have to price it so that it's a commercial model almost always. Whereas Johan, if you're driving loyalty for your bank predominantly, you're happy to help out your merchants who are happy to part fund because it, it's you're trying to create this overall loyalty piece. Is that right? Is that is it? So, so Ian, you know it's very important. Customer has to win. Number one partner has to win and the bank has to win. So if you've got anybody in, in you know, that, that triangle that's not winning, you're not going to have a long-standing partnership mm. and you're not going to have a program that works. And, you know, we're very fortunate at FNB. We've got uh, a large part of the consumer base in, in South Africa where we can change behavior and, and change spending behavior and drive them from one retailer to, to another, which makes it valuable for for a merchant or a, or a retailer, you know, not only does the spend come, but new customers, customer details continue. You know, there's it's quite easy to build the model if you if you can switch behavior, and and then again, we're focused on you know winning with a customer in, in the long term. You know, if, if if it was a short term view, we would have most probably done things uh, quite differently. But the customer has to win. The partner has to win and, and we need to win. And very fortunate, you know, that for 23 years, we've been able to, to do this. And, and that's why we have to change our program. Mel, you mentioned it before, you know, so we normally change our program, uh, once a year. You know, we've been fortunate the last two years. We didn't have to do much, but now we, we did bring in some changes. Um, so that we do drive that, that behavior change and, and that we can make it commercially viable for our partners. Um, and I always laugh, you know, when we, when we meet with new partners, they say, okay, but just send me the commercials and we'll, we'll get it done, you know, whereas, you know, we work, you know, 
quite in-depth with each partner to say, okay, but what is it that drives your business? What makes sense for you? What doesn't make sense for you? Not one commercial arrangement with any of our partners is the same because there's different needs and wants. Um, but yes, partners fund a big share of the e-bikes paid to customers, the bank the majority, and then, um, yeah, hopefully it continues that way for for years to come. And Johan, would you describe yourself as a banker or as a or as a as a loyalty professional? So because it's funny because I've worked with lots of people in banks and loyalty over the years who predominantly are bank people. Whereas I, what, what by what you've been saying saying tonight, I think you're more of how would you describe that? <laughs> yes. And I'd say I'm still somebody learning a little bit of both, right? Um, but you know, I have a lot of banking experience, and but majority of my career spent in in loyalty. Um, but I think to to be successful in the financial services industry um, with loyalty, that you you need a bit of both. You know, I, I grew up in retail, so. When, when going to speak to retailers, you know, have a little bit of an idea about what they're looking for and, you know, some of the struggles that, that they do have. And then understanding what the bank and what the program can can do for a partner and ultimately how the customer benefits at the end of the day. Because mm-hmm. personally, I'd like every single one of our customers to shop at a clicks, fill up at Engine, buy their groceries at, at ShopRite Chickers. This is what um, I always said. This is this is what I ran a utility company with Nectar, actually, um, where we were a Nectar partner for many years. And um, the, the, when you went around the business and they said, what do you want people to loyalty to do? They're saying, I want them to buy, you, I want them to have wiring thing, I want them to buy a shower, I want them to do this. I said, no, 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 you don't. You want them to go into Sainsbury's. That's what you want them to do. Because if they go into Sainsbury's, they go into BP, they spend these things, then they'll come around and do your things. But that Correct. was a tough gig. That was a tough gig because um, not everyone got that, right? Because it's, but you do, you do need to see it as a whole. And it sounds like your yeah. business model depends on it as well. Yeah. I mean, the synergies are amazing. And, you know, um, Johan, how long have we been a partner? Uh, the last three, four years, we, correct? Yeah, just we started just in when COVID. Just before, yeah. exactly. Just before COVID. And, and um, for us, the beauty of this was the um, high, higher income e-bucks customer at that point in time. And if I look at how the partnership between ourselves, e-bucks and engine is driving because remember when a person earns e-bucks they have the choice to come and spend it at clicks or they can spend it anywhere else um and for me i think the most amazing thing about this part is how i can see how e-buck spend is increasing on my side of the business which means that whatever we are offering the e-bucks customer is attractive enough so and we don't push this down their throats the whole time right i think it's the synergy between the three and and that to me is the measure of success. It's like you you said about the Sainsbury example, right? The guys are coming to spend with clicks, and they come and redeem their e-bucks there as well. And to me, that is creating such an amazing ecosystem between the three of us. You know, to, to such an extent that when Engine launched their own app, right, everybody's going, "Oh my God, what are they doing?" And in fact, there was it was absolutely just their part of getting some data. Actually, all our stuff still fitted in very nicely into the app as well. I still load my F&B card. I'm still uh, getting my e-bucks. And I think that's the success is that we get it so that, you know, we're driving people to F&B and engine. Engine is driving people to F&B and ourselves. And it really is a, a joint effort 
um, and everybody wins at this point in time. So for me, it has ticked all the boxes, but it's even given me more in terms of the growth of the type of customer um, from an F&B point of view, for instance, because it was traditionally a market that we didn't really own in the top end of the market. We've been repositioning ourselves in the retail market more to a to a broader audience. You know, for a long time, people saw Clicks as sort of the middle income um, retailer for pharmacy and Diskim was the upper income. And I think we've swung that. I, I, I can see that um, in the stats that we're seeing at the moment. And to me, that is great because that was the intent of this partnership and vice versa on your side, Johan, with access to to our lower income customers as well. But Ian, just just broader across the market, I mean, what what Mel and Johan have described there is sort of the tripartite relationship with the two eBucks F and B and eBucks sorry eBucks Clicks and Engine. There's a lot of brands though in the South African market that I think are like being way too promiscuous. They're not clear on their strategy. I won't name them. It'll just be unprofessional, but. It's not as professional in every part of the every part of the industry, and there are some brands that are like encouraging such in-depth partnership sort of promiscuity that they're like triple dipping. Like commercially, I'm looking at it from the sidelines, going, "What are you doing? Like this, you're paying three times for the same customer." So I think the market has some incredible professionalism and some incredible value propositions for the customer and the brand. And then there's some elements that I guess, like any market, there's some elements where I look at it and kind of go like. What's going on here? It's just this brand's with everybody as a partner. They're just promiscuous, left, right, and centre. So it's not all perfect across the entire marketplace, you know, and it, from the broader South African point of view. But what you are, you're talking to two brands today who are leading their, you know, leading their industry in terms of the most used loyalty brands in their industry. So you are getting <laughs> the creme de la creme in terms of the example. No, exactly. But where do you think we're going to be? Just to finish off tonight, um, just where do you think you're going to be in, say, five years' time? Do you think there's going to be, you're going to continue to see growth or you're going to see a cull of the, of, as you said, the ones that are doing it best? And how, how do you think it's going to happen? I think it's just going to get better. I can see by the work that we're always asked to do. There's, we're running out of brands who need new loyalty programs, right? If I look across the for first tier second tier brands in the country there's so many programs now so all it all we i'd say more of our work is about improving being called in to do audits and improve it which is brilliant work to do it's fantastic because you can really get under the skin Mm. of it with data so i think the market's just going to go from strength to strength we just it's there is always this you know the instability that mel described at the start if we can level that out one of the difficult things is the fact we can't necessarily get world-class technology solutions that are being used mm. in other markets because of the rand is so weak against hard mark, hard currencies. Yeah. So my even business some case of those was really... at twelve rand. A... My business case was twelve yeah. rand per pound. <laughs> it's twenty-three. <laughs> Good old days. <laughs> Good luck with that one. <laughs> twenty-three to one. Imagine, imagine U.S. dollar-based suppliers trying to come in and sell, even if they halve their costs, mm. they're still too expensive. And there's some mm. wonderful technology out there there's, that I think the market would would benefit from. Yeah, I think from from my side, I, I'm I'm on Amanda's page, and I think the more these technologies become available, I mean we are we are on a very strong drive on personalization, and I think over the last five over the next five years, the winners in loyalty in South Africa are going to be those that properly crack the personalization in loyalty. Not this idea of one-to-one hyper-personalization. You know, it re- I, I just think that the opportunities that we still see, and 
I mean, there's so much innovation in this, in this industry at the moment and so many challenges. I mean, we've got a, we've got a retailer that during COVID just turned all of our lives upside down by introducing a very innovative um, delivery model based on technology. And I think as long as we can adopt, yes, we've got the issue of not being able to afford, Amanda, I just had to redo my budget because my personalization software is dollar-based and it's insane. It's decimating my budget. But but quite simply, the company's finding money for that because if we're not ahead of the curve in terms of the tech, specifically the MarTech that we use in the loyalty space, you're going to fall way behind. Because at this point in time, I think this technology curve in South Africa is I mean, it's wild. Just as you think we've reached that pinnacle and we can't get any further, somebody comes up with something more innovative innovative than the prior. But you have to be picky and not try and jump at everything. You know, the one thing that I find quite irritating in the market at the moment is, you know, when company A does something, then it's like the followers want to do it. And and I think, guys, where's your strategy? Amanda, to your point about promiscuity is, Where's your strategy here, right? Mm. Are you thinking about what you're doing? And it just bastardizes the market. Yeah. And, 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 and that to me, it almost dilutes the value proposition then at some point. Um, so, so my biggest job is, is almost always pulling back and saying, guys, but we also have to be true to what we said we want to do with loyalty, right? It's very sexy to have a same day delivery. In our case, we're not going to go there for reason A, B, and C. So I think the, the, the key thing for us as leaders in loyalty is to also stick to your knitting and stick to your path and have a proper innovation plan in place because you can very easily be pulled into seven directions. Um, I mean, the culling, the, the divorces that I'm going through now of partners where I'm just saying, this is not a fit, guys. It's not a fit. It looks very sexy, but it is not a fit. And I think... To me, that's, that's something for the next five years is how do you stay true to your core strategy and still be kick ass innovative in what you're doing for your customer? That to me is the five years because there are a lot of new entrants into this market and it's easy to follow. It is. It's easier to follow. There's newer technology. In our case, Ian, we're sitting with hell of a legacy systems yeah. that are quite simply very prohibitive. There's so much that I want to do in the instant discount space. I just simply can't because my IT team, it's like swimming through syrup at the moment. But it's to stay <laughs> ahead to, to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, if I ever meet a retailer who loves their IT department, ever meet a marketing director who loves their IT department, I'll, uh, I'll retire. No, I'm very verbal. <laughs> <laughs> and Johan, last yeah. word to you. Where, where do you think you're going to be in five years' time? No, great. So I'd just like to... Look, I agree on the technology side. There's always, you know, great stuff out there that we'd love to to bring back home. Um, but yeah, <laughs> at, at twenty rand a dollar, we 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 can't do it. But um, you know, we we'll get along. We'll we build a lot of our own stuff um, as well. So that's where I think we we push it push each other and innovate. Um, I still believe put the customer first and give the customer value. You know, if, if that's, you know, Melanie said, stick to your knitting, stick to your strategy. If you want to help customers, you want to get them through the month, you want to be there for them in their time of need, uh, their time of angst, you want to be there, you know, in the tough times, you want to be there in the good times, you want to be relevant. If you put the customer first and you help, and you help, the rest of the building blocks will, will fall in place. So... 
sometimes we yes do get distracted by the things that competitors do and things that happen internationally and you know a whole bunch of vendors that want to come and sell us stuff and tell us this is the best thing since sliced bread and how it's going to change our world but for me it's customer first and and not to get lost in a lot of the stuff that happens um, around us but it's going to get more competitive yeah, if you if you if you go to sleep every night thinking it's going to be less competitive, good luck with you. You know. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But but this is fun. Eh? I think we, you know, in our industry, we're of the most privileged people to be able to do what we do, to to be able to to help millions of peoples of lives, and to have these large large corporates behind us to to be able to to do that. You know, so it's humbling at the same time. So. So it's nice to be able to help people, and, the, and in a market, and a and in market where you can truly see the difference if that happens, yeah, which is, which yeah. is beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you and so much. I think I... last point, you know, like when we can do it together, then it's even better. You know, when it's it's not just about your own brand and what you can do yourself, but when you can partner with with great partners out there, it just gives you so much more reach to to do, and that's where I think the difference is going to be in the future. No. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed that conversation. So thank you, Johan. Thanks for joining us. Great. Thanks, Ian. And thank you very much, Mel. Thanks, Ian. Thank you so much. And thank you, Amanda, as always. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, great to see you. Thanks. Brilliant. So if you like this podcast, please like, share, or comment using the hashtag TheLoyaltyPodcast. And we look forward to your company again soon. Thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>